So we are um, in week two of this four-week series that we're doing that we're calling Bad Religion. Bad Religion. And what we're doing is is we're looking at what happens when, when good religion, you know, for us, Christianity, goes bad. What does it mean when when this call we have to follow Jesus, to, to be his disciples, what does it mean when it gets unbiblical? What does it mean when all this extra biblical stuff gets added to it? So unbiblical would be things that would be sort of against what the Bible teaches. Extra biblical would be things that we add on that aren't part of Scripture. What happens when this, this faith at who the very core is the person and the work of Jesus, what happens when it becomes toxic and hurtful to people? You know, there are loads of people out there who have been seriously hurt by, by people and by congregations that claim the name of Christ. There are people out there who, whose experiences have been so upsetting, so dissettling, so at odds with the faith of God that they read in Scripture that it, it becomes a cognitive dissonance that is too strong for them and they walk away from the church. Now, I'm not talking about people who are rejecting the gospel. There are people who, even when presented the gospel in a clear and winsome way, they reject it and they reject Christ. And it breaks our heart, but, but we know even from Scripture that there will always be those who in their pride, in their hubris, are unwilling to submit to God. Now, I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about people that have been beaten down by a religion that holds on to things that aren't in Scripture. I'm talking about people who've heard one too many times when they walk into a church building, oh, we're not those kind of people. The people who work, walk into a church building and say, if you want to worship with us, you've got to get your life cleaned up first. The people who walk into a church building and say, before you worship with us, you best cover up those tattoos. Take that dye out of your hair. Sell your motorcycle. Be just like us. You know, this is a real issue. And it really draws drive people away from Jesus and from God because there's all of this junk that gets built up. And that junk creates this, this wall that prevents them from being able to see the beauty of who Christ is and His heart for us. That's what we're talking about these weeks when we're talking about bad religion. Last week, we were in Amos, and and we saw that how through Amos, God tells his people, his people Israel, and, and, and tells us, his people, that he doesn't want our worship until we are doing the things that he has called us to do. That our faith isn't a performance or a checklist that it's to be this, this lived out thing. It's to be this outpouring of grace and love into the world that is a reflection, albeit a very weak one, of the outpouring of grace and love and mercy that God has poured out onto us. To put another way that 
our faith is about growing in Christ's likeness. Until our heart comes to reflect the heart of Christ, comes to reflect a desire to, to grow in Christ's likeness. God doesn't want our worship. He doesn't want our songs. He doesn't want our prayers. He doesn't want our burnt offerings. Okay, maybe we don't do burnt offerings except when we do a pig picking. But he doesn't want that stuff. What he wants is our heart. Now, a heart that is seeking after God is going to be a heart that desires worship. A heart that's seeking after God is going to be a heart that wants to sing God's praises. A heart that's seeking after God is going to be a a heart that wants to, to worship and love and show and demonstrate. But it's not the performance. It's the heart. This week, we're going to be in Jeremiah 23. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and start turning to Jeremiah chapter 23. And, and what, what we're going to be doing this week is we're going to be looking at what happens when, when religious leaders, what happens when, when people who should know better become part of the problem. You know, we know all the horror stories about bad leaders and bad leaders in the church. Stories of, of abuse. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. We know the horror stories of, of immorality of being caught in the quarter in New Orleans with a woman who's not your wife. Happened a couple of times in the 80s. We know the horror stories of of just sort of skeezy behavior. The stories of, of theft. I know of a former Baptist pastor in Virginia who got fired from multiple churches because he kept stealing from the churches. You would think after the first one, someone would get the message. We know these stories. We know bad leadership. We know it's there. And Jeremiah is faced with bad leadership in his day. That's what we're going to see here in Jeremiah chapter 23. So if you'll turn with me, Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to start with verse 9. And we're going to read through verse 32. I know it's a lot. I actually cut it down. Um, For those of you who who are maybe new with us, haven't been here, we stand when we read God's Word, but I also understand that sometimes standing for long periods of time for people isn't great. This has been brought home to me because I have a wife who's pregnant. So if you need to sit down or you need to stay seated while we read God's Word together, please feel free to do so. But will you stand with me as we read God's word together? Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me and all of my bones tremble. I have become like a drunkard, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord, because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers and the land mourns because of the curse and the grazing lands in the wilderness have dried up. Their way of life has become evil, and their power is not rightly used, because both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil. This, this is the Lord's declaration. Therefore their way will seem like slippery paths in the gloom. They will be driven away and fall down there, for I will bring disaster on them, the year of their punishment. This is the Lord's declaration. Among the prophets of Samaria I saw something disgusting, They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. 
among the prophets of Jerusalem also. I saw a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers, and none turns his back on evil. They are all like Sodom to me. Jerusalem's residents are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says concerning the prophets. I am about to feed them wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread through the land. This is what the Lord of armies says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds and not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has spoken. You will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has paid attention to his word and obeyed? Look, A storm from the Lord. Wrath has gone out. A whirling storm. It will whirl about the heads of the wicked. The Lord's anger will not turn away until he has completely fulfilled the purposes of his heart. In time to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send out these people, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words and would have turned them from their evil ways and their evil deeds. I am a God who is only near. This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away. Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see them? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. I have heard what the prophets who prophesy a lie in my name have said. I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the minds of the prophets prophesying lies? prophets of the deceit of their own minds through their dreams that they tell one another they plan to cause my people to forget my name as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship the prophet who has only a dream should recount the dream but the one who has my word should speak my word truthfully for what is straw compared to grain this is the lord's declaration this is not, my wor- is not my word like fire. This is the Lord's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock. Therefore, take note, I am against the prophet, the Lord's declaration, who steal my words from each other. I am against the prophet, the Lord's declaration, who use their own tongues to make a declaration. I am against those who prophesy false dreams, the Lord's declaration telling them and leading my people astray with their reckless lives. It is not I who sent or commanded them, and they are of no benefit at all to these people. This, this is the Lord's declaration. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we... As we come before you this morning to study your word and perhaps to be troubled by it, God, I pray that the truth of your word would shine forth, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. So there's this, there's this term that we actually get um, from Jeremiah called the Jeremiad, which is like this rant. 
This is a Jeremiah. And the problem with Jeremiah is when Jeremiah goes off on a Jeremiah, it's hard to slow him down. It's hard to break it up. It's hard to, to stop him. And so I know that that was a lot of biblical text this morning. But it was one of those things, you start reading it, and there's not a good place to stop. Because Jeremiah is on a roll. We talked last week when we talked about um, Amos. We talked about the need for us to locate prophets in the particular time and place in which they prophesied. That it helps us to understand what the prophets are saying when we understand the background against which they are prophesying. You know, Jeremiah is, is a little harder to do this for than Amos, although not as hard as Isaiah. You know, Amos is, is a short book. Amos is one of the so-called minor prophets. Not that his prophecies are minor, but because it just means small. But Jeremiah is one of the longest books in the Bible. Jeremiah is a major prophet, and he prophesies for a longer period of time. At least we have a recording of his prophecy for a longer period of time. So he's a little harder, but we can still place him. So let's place him first in a place. Jeremiah is prophesying in the kingdom of Judah. So this is the southern kingdom. Just real quick refresher. After Solomon, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, splits northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Eventually the northern kingdom which in this text has been referred to as Samaria. The northern kingdom is carried off by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom is all that is left. Eventually, the southern kingdom will be carried off by Babylon. So we are prophesying in Judah, and, and we are prophesying in Judah after the northern kingdom has been already carried off by the Assyrians, which leads us to the time. When is Jeremiah prophesying? It's, it's, it's one of those things. He's prophesying at the end of the southern kingdom. This is one of those times where we can really nail down the years that Jeremiah prophesies, which is not always the case. Sometimes we've got ideas, we've got some, some ranges, but we know when Jeremiah is prophesying because we know from Babylonian records when Judah is carried off. And so Jeremiah is prophesying from the year 626 B.C. to the year 586 B.C. Now, those of you who don't think about B.C. a lot, remember B.C. counts down instead of counting up. So this is, this is 40 years. He's actually prophesied probably a few years after because we know that we have some of Jeremiah's prophecies after the, they've already been carried into Babylon. And they're carried into Babylon in the year uh, 586. That's the year of the exile to Babylon. So it's a roughly 40 years. And so what we know is that Jeremiah is there for the downfall of the southern kingdom. He's there for the la those last few very turbulent years of the kingdom of Judah. In fact, during the time of Jeremiah, nobody stays king for very long in Judah. Because what's happening, you know, there are multiple kings. There's this, there's this thing where the king of Judah sort of sells out the kingdom to Egypt because he doesn't trust God to protect God's people. He trusts, instead of trusting the will and the power of God, he trusts the sword arm of Pharaoh. And so he sells Judah out to Pharaoh, and then the Pharaoh doesn't like who the king is, so he replaces him. And at this point, what are you going to do, right? Because you've already sold yourself out to him. And then um, the Pharaoh goes to war against Babylon. Babylon wins, so they, Judah sort of becomes a puppet kingdom 
of Babylon for a while, and Babylon sort of goes, I prefer this brother over this brother for the king. Oh no, six months later I've changed my mind. I actually prefer this brother. And so it's this very turbulent period that ends with Babylon coming in, crushing Jerusalem, and carrying the people into exile. That is the background to Jeremiah. That's the background. That's what's happening. That's what's getting ready to happen when Jeremiah starts concerning the prophets. What we see what we see here is we see Jeremiah shaken by the evil of the prophets and the judgment of God that God is going to pronounce on him. Those, these first two verses, 9 and 10, this is, not, this is Jeremiah sort of talking about Jeremiah's feelings. And then in verse 11, he sort of switches to, to, the, to, to the perspective of God. But these first two verses, 9 and 10, this is Jeremiah sort of laying out how he feels because he knows what God is about to bring. See, for years, Jeremiah has heard all of these false teachers, false prophets, all of these lies swirling around Judah. He's watched these prophets deceive the masses with their empty words of comfort and assurance. Don't worry. God will protect you. Don't worry. You're fine. Not to throw Bobby McFerrin under the bus, but don't worry. Be happy. Jeremiah has witnessed the hypocrisy and the sins of the, and the lives of these religious leaders and seen that corruption sort of spill out from these leaders and fill the land. And in the midst of this, he has this, he has this encounter, this fresh encounter with God. And he receives this, this word of judgment against them and it, and it overwhelms him. He's, he's utterly staggered. Right? He tells us that he's staggered like a drunk man by the word of God, by the anger of God that burns against these false prophets. And now we begin to hear God speaking through Jeremiah. We see that the, the religious establishment was, was evil and practicing wickedness, not just in their private lives, but in, but in God's house. that God is allowing them to walk and fall on this slippery path. You know, both the northern and the southern kingdom were guilty in their own ways of leading the people astray. In verse, in verse um, <clears throat> 13 and 14, we see this. You see, the Samaritans prophesied wrongly. They, they prophesied by Baal. But the prophets of Jerusalem were even worse. Because at least the prophets in Samaria were, were honest enough to acknowledge that they were prophesying by a false and pagan deity. But the prophets in Jerusalem were, were prophesying falsely in the Lord's name. They were taking the name of the Lord in vain. They were rotten. And they were dragging the rest of the nation into their wrongdoing. And God says, I will judge you severely. For those of us who are leaders, those of us who are elders and deacons and people who are leaders in the church, I, I want to speak directly to you for a second. You have a responsibility. 
Because those of us who God has called out to be leaders in God's church are going to be judged by a different, higher standard. Because God has said, I am pulling you out to help shepherd my flock. And if you screw it up, if you mess them over in my name, pardon the expression, but quite literally, there will be hell to pay. That's what's at stake with these leaders. That's what's at stake with these false prophets. See, you know, hindsight is going to show them later how right God was in his judgment and how wrong the false prophets were in their message. But the people of God should have been listening and should have known already The prophet should have been preaching a message of repentance, a return to following God, instead of telling the people what they wanted to hear. Because the prophets, everything is falling apart around them. They can see it. They can see everything falling apart around them. And the prophets of God keep saying, you're fine. You're one of God's people. You don't have anything to worry about. You're not doing anything wrong. You don't need to repent. It's all of those people out there who've got to get things in line. The prophets of God should have been preaching a message of repentance, preaching a message of a return to God instead of telling the people what they wanted to hear. And so they manufacture dreams. They steal one another's revelations. It's it's almost like a supermarket tabloid. As they sort of just steal ideas from each other and create all this intrigue. I had a dream. No, that was my dream. No, that was my dream. Chaos. Chaos in Jerusalem. God is sick of them. He's sick of them saying that they had a burdensome or heavy message from the Lord when they didn't. This is the Lord's declaration. Am I a God who is only near and not a God who is far away? Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see them? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. God sees. God knows. And God knows that it's deluding the true message of God. And because of their flippancy, because of their falsity, because of their lies, this generation of prophets would be remembered as false. God is a love of God is a God of love. God is a love of a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. But God does not tolerate lying and hypocrisy when it is done in his name. This is excoriating. This is hard to hear. Because the truth is, right, we don't don't like to hear about God's judgment, particularly when we think that it might be directed at us. We like to hear the fun stuff. We like to hear the good stuff. We love to hear about how God loves us and he has this wonderful plan for us. And if we follow this point and this point and this point, hey, it's even better if those three points alliterate that we'll be fine. 
The Word of God is hard. But here's the thing. Always remember, always, always, always remember that in the prophetic tradition, in the prophetic tradition, and so I'm talking about the Old Testament prophets, but we also see it in the prophetic tradition that is in the New Testament. Paul speaks in a prophetic voice. The book of Revelation is in a prophetic voice. In the, in, in the prophetic tradition, even when there is excoriation, even when there is hard words, there is always hope. There is always hope. A couple of summers ago, we studied Jeremiah, and that was one of the patterns that we looked at. That, not Jeremiah, excuse me, Isaiah. We're in Jeremiah today. We were in Isaiah a couple of summers ago. But always in Isaiah, there's this pattern. I mean, Isaiah brings the hammer down and then gives the hope. Always hope. You know, this, this, this passage in Jeremiah is scathing. It is a Jeremiah. It is a rant against the people's sin, against false prophets, against lying and falsity and falsehood and, and toxic, bad religion. But Jeremiah also offers a hopeful glimpse at this time when there will be godly shepherds who care for the flock. He also offers this, this hope that there is truth, that there is beauty, that there is a time that will come when a faithful, united remnant of God's people are brought together, brought out of exile, and a righteous king shall rule them. We know. We know that that coming king was and is Jesus. And this, this remains our enduring hope. Whether we've suffered under the lies and hypocrisy of a, of a lying prophet, of a philandering pastor, of a toxic church, or whether we have benefited from the care of, 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 a, of a caring earthly under-shepherd. We know that our faith is not in our religious leaders, in their strengths and in their weaknesses, but it's in Jesus, who's the head of the church. You know, pastor. Pastor is a word that sort of means shepherd. And I'm okay with the word pastor. In fact, it's actually my, my, preferred, my preferred word. It, it's, it's, it sounds a lot, more, a lot warmer and a lot more homely than, than reverend. There's nothing, there's nothing reverend about me. But we, we talk about ourselves as pastors. When, we talk, when pastors talk amongst themselves, and you do know that, right? Like, we talk amongst ourselves. And we talk about being shepherds. But, but I, I have really sought, and I don't know, I, didn't, I don't think that I came up with this. I think I picked it up from somebody, and I don't know who, but using the language of under-shepherd. Because I'm not your shepherd. I'm not your pastor. I'm simply a, a helper serving the true shepherd, the true pastor, who's Jesus Christ. And any word that comes out of my mouth, I want you to weigh against Jesus, against the word of God, both the written and the living word of God. And call me out. 
Call me out. If you think I get it wrong, call me out. And we'll have a discussion about it. Because it's not about me. Or any other earthly, worldly pastor. It's about Jesus. You know, often when we think about bad religion, we think about the moral failings of religious leaders. And we talked about that already. And man, we've had some humdingers of some examples in the last uh, couple of years. You know, we, we see leaders fall into greed, into lust, into ego, into pride. See leaders being destroyed by sin while preaching against it from the pulpit. But there's another common tell of bad religion. And that's a, a focus on judging others, on pointing out others' sin, on embracing a kind of legalism and being graceless in doing so. And I think this is where a lot of us have an issue. Jesus thought so too, right? Because he remember, remember that whole thing about, about a speck and a log? Jesus is speaking to this tendency that we have to look at other people and want to point out their problems instead of dealing with our junk. And this is where Scripture challenges us to understand that bad religion sometimes means ignoring a key component of the Gospel message so that we can tell others what they want to hear. Sometimes it can mean, mean ignoring this, the, the truth that we sin. You know, we shouldn't be here on Sunday morning to hear how wonderfully righteous we are as compared to those people over there. Now, for the record, we're Baptists, so we are better than the people down at Trinity, but that's a whole other conversation. Or, you know, Methodist in general, Dave. Because I know my father-in-law's watching. That's what we want to hear, right? We want to come. We want to hear how, how bad they are, how bad the world is, that the threat is external. The threat isn't external. The threat's internal. It's in here. And we need to be held accountable. That's what God's Word does. God's Word holds us accountable. His message of repentance and turning back to Him is as relevant to us today as it was to the people of Jeremiah's day. Man, I really hope that the, the mess and the chaos and the disorder that we see out there is not reflective and not identical and not uh, uh, an example of, of, of the threat and the mess and the grossness that happened before the exile. Because that was a bad time. But that message of repentance, that message of turning back to God... They needed to hear it, and we need to hear it. Telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear, it's not limited to Old Testament prophets, right? We do this. How many of you know the story about a pastor who was told, Pastor, you can preach on anything, just don't preach on that. Hey, Pastor, you can preach on anything, but the day you go after my livelihood, the day you go after my sacred cow, 
is the day that I pull all my money out of this church and go to the deacons and say it's time for a new pastor. We know those stories. You've heard those stories. Some of you maybe have lived those stories. Can I say, I have been here since October 1 of 2018, and I have not received one anonymous letter yet. Well, there was the very first day that I got one from Jeff Lewis, so he could say I'd had my first one and gotten it out of the way. I have brothers in the ministry who every day dread opening their email. Who dread every day opening the mailbox. So just as an aside, thank you for being awesome. I don't know how you talk about me behind my back, but at least you don't do it to my face. Avoiding facing the truth is, is a typical human response, right? We don't want to we don't want to face the truth. Our brains play all sorts of games doing it. You know, this has happened. You you had that friend when you were like 18 years old and he decided he was going to grow a mustache. And it was a pencil thin mustache, but not the Boston blackie kind. And it looked bad. And he asked you about it, and you're like, oh man, yeah, you look. Go get that Ricky Ricardo jacket. Or, or maybe it was a girlfriend who um, decided that she would try cutting her own bangs. Oh, yeah, sweetheart, it looks great. Hey, can I get you, give you Angie Levin's phone number? We want to avoid our own truth. There's this, there's this song... I don't know how many of you know this, this, this country group, Confederate Railroad. Confederate Railroad has a song, Black Label and White Lies. And it's about this man who through his fast living, has run his wife off. But he had spent so long telling everybody how great she was and how she was going to stand by her man no matter what, that once she leaves, he's got to lie to everybody else about why she left. Because he's embarrassed. Because he can't tell the, handle the truth. Taking the easy way out is usually only a short-term solution. Taking the easy way out is usually only a short-term solution. That's what the prophets in Jerusalem are doing. They're taking the easy way out, and it is a short-term solution. And the long-term correction of the exile is coming. In our personal relationships, we have a difficult message to bring in our own hypocrisy to contend with. We all have friends, family, or other loved ones who are living outside of God's plan and purposes. I was having a conversation this weekend with somebody, you know, and my thing is, is the, is the fact that like, I don't want to bring people God's plan and purposes because, because I think I'm better than them and because I want to control them. It's because I think that living inside of God's plan is true freedom. That living in relationship with Christ is the best thing that you can ever do for yourself. To be overwhelmed with who God is and who, what God has done for us. But we, we know people who are living outside of God's plan and purpose. 
And we've got to start with that hard truth that we are all sinners in need of God and of God's grace. But let's be clear, we are all sinners. When you come up out of the waters of baptism, you are not coming up as a perfect creation. You are coming up as an imperfect creation born into a new life. I will be honest. I don't think standing on the street corner with a bullhorn and a big sign that says you're going to hell is an effective form of evangelism. There are people who disagree with me. I don't think that's an effective form of evangelism. I think humbly and kindly coming to people, helping them see a different path, a different perspective, showing them the beauty of God's plan is the real hope. And for us, this means living faithfully and vulnerably admitting our own failings. It means standing up and saying, man, I messed up this week. It means offering God's grace and hope to those who are convicted by the Holy Spirit. It means striving to grow in Christ-likeness. But it also means looking honestly at ourselves and at our own individual and group biases and rebellion and need for repentance and being honest about it. We're not called to play the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. Let me say that again. We are not called to play the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. You know, it's easy to see someone else's need for God and, and, and to see someone else's need for repentance. And it's harder to see our own because it means we've got to be honest with a person that it's the hardest to be honest with. Ourselves. And honest with God. You know, we might think these false prophets likely rationalize, yeah, some of our folks are sinful, but look at all of the pagans around us. Look at all the heathens around us. Look at all the unbelievers around us. They don't even worship God. They practice the grossest of sins. By comparison, we are good, church-going, godly folk. God will take that into account. Our sins are acceptable, and their sins are not. Besides, who wants to hear judgment preached all the time? Just preach the love of God. When the prophets speak, the prophets are speaking not to the outsider, but to God's people. These hard words from Jeremiah are to God's people, to us. But again, there is hope in all of this. There is hope in all of this because of Jesus. Because it is only by Jesus' grace that we are able to see the reality of our lives at all. It is only by Jesus' grace that we are able to respond to Him. It is only by Jesus' grace that we are able to follow Him. And it is only by His grace that we are able to grow in Christ-likeness. Was Jesus honest with people about their sin? Of course He was. And if there was ever a person that had the ability to walk on the face of this earth and judge other people for their sin, it was Jesus. But as we're going to see next week, Jesus reserves His harshest words not for those who have stumbled and who have fallen and who have sinned. No, Jesus reserves His harshest words for those that by their words and actions are hypocrites and toxic in their application of God's Word.
I think we miss the, the gentleness and the overwhelming love of Jesus. Jesus was honest. Jesus told the truth to people about their sin, but he was not harsh. He was not mean-spirited. So what for us? We'll end here. God does not tolerate lying. God does not tolerate hypocrisy, especially when done in His name. The believer should embrace truth, even if it is difficult to hear, instead of searching for voices that will tell them what they want to hear. There was a great piece of wisdom that I read this week. It said, if you worship a God that you never disagree with, you're probably worshiping a God that you have made in your image. We need to remember God's call to us for authenticity and for truth and to speak His, His Word, not ours. But we also need to remember that we are only able to do so because of the grace of God. Not by any work of our own hand, our own deed, or our own will. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be 405, Have Faith 